Romans chapter 1. By the way, I haven't welcomed all of our campuses. First Sunday of the month, we want to welcome our, I think I'm going to get this right now because we got Seaboard as always. We welcome Seaboard and our Norfolk campus, our Glen Allen campus, which is in Richmond, and our downtown uh, Richmond campus, and we are welcoming our Wilson campus. Here, can we welcome everybody? Come on, this is family. I'm going to lay out, we got, a, we got a chart for you here. I'm going to lay out to you the book of Romans real quick and, and just show you, there it is. Um, you might want to get your phone out, take a photo of that um, because it, it really is a good overview. And I'm going to ask the team to leave that up there just for a little bit. And it says in Romans chapter one, verse 16, if you want to start this series as an overview to give you an introduction, and this is a really good image of what the book of Romans is about. So leave that up there for a few minutes if you don't mind. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So Paul is making a very clear statement here. He makes no apologies for the gospel. I'm not ashamed about it. I'm not trying to dilute it. I'm not trying to make it easier for people. He certainly isn't trying to make it harder. He's trying to make it clearer. What is the gospel? He's not, I mean, it's so simple to, to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But within that, we must understand what is the gospel. Amen? So he goes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it, the gospel, is the power of God. So the power of God is found in the gospel. And what does it do? To salvation. To everyone that believes. That's an important word, everyone. Because up until this point in time, the Jewish people felt they were pretty special, pretty elite, pretty exclusive. And he goes, for everyone that believes. Now look what Paul says. To the Jew first. Everybody say, to the Jew first. Then to the Gentiles. So God's not excluding the Jews. Are you hearing me? But now it's including everybody. For I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It is the power of God under salvation for the Jew first and to the Gentiles. For the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And it says, a righteousness that is by, that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, in actual fact, that's not the correct way in which that was written. We, we put it in what we would consider to read it in English, a more acceptable, more better grammar. But actually, what it really says is, in the Greek, he that is righteous by faith shall live. Have you got it? Now, that, didn't make, that doesn't flow well in our English world, so we, we changed it slightly so it had a better sense of structure and flow to it. And so, and, and, and I, wanna know, I want you to notice this. The gospel, the, 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 the book of Romans has bookends. And it starts in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. And it goes, it says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience, watch this, that comes from faith for his namesake. I want you to look at that. Do you see that? It goes, Through him... We have received grace and apostleship. This is Paul talking about himself and his ministry. And it goes, to call the Gentiles to the obedience, watch, that comes from faith. You see that? Not from works, not from the law, 
Amen? Now look at how it closes, because that's how it opens, but look how it closes. I call this the bookends. But now revealed in Romans 16, now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that the Gentiles, watch this, might come to the obedience that comes from faith. And to the only wise God be glory forever through Christ Jesus, amen. So here's what the, the book of Romans is doing. It has bookends, and this is what it's really saying. It's saying obedience equals faith, and faith, listen to it, equals obedience. They're bookends. That's where it starts, and that's where it finishes. Have you got that? Now, look at the chapters here. I'm going to break it down for you. I don't normally do a lot of teaching, teaching, and I'm going to leave it for the campus guys to really expand this out. But I want you to get an overview of the book of Romans. We're going to close. It's going to be powerful. Here we go. So chapters 1 to 4, you can see here, it talks about what it means to be righteous. And then chapter, uh, chapters 1 to 4, and then chapters 5 to 8, it, what, what it means to be alive. I'm going to break it down for you. And then chapters 9 to 11, if you're understanding the book of Romans, it actually talks about how God fulfills his promise to Israel. It's an important thing to understand because the first eight chapters, if you read it, you think like God has done away with the Jews. If you read the first eight chapters, that the Jews are no longer relevant or important. Actually, nothing could be further from the truth. But reading the first eight chapters, you would think that, so Paul goes back to it. Can you see that? And how he shows how that God is going to fulfill his promise to, to Israel. And then he goes on from chapter 11, uh, uh, verse 15, and chapter 14, and he brings out all this wonderful practical application. And then his last chapter 15, verse 14, till the end of the cha chapter 16, he's just giving closing remarks and greetings. And that is the quickest overview you're ever going to hear on the book of Romans. But that is the best way to break down Romans as far as I can tell and the research I've done. Put a lot of work into this, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, but let's get started. Chapters one to four, one more time. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God, listen to this, that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Not to he who is circumcised, not to he who obeys the law, not to him who was good, but to everyone who what? Believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for it is the power of God for the gospel. Sorry, let me start with verse 17. For in the gospel, righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is from to faith, by faith, from first to the last. I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'm so excited. The righteous will live by faith. Amen. So let's look at this for a minute because if you like the first half of this phrase, it says the righteous will live by faith or by faith the righteous shall live. The first half of this phrase, he's going to talk about what it means to be righteous. And, and, and they try to explain what it is to be righteous by faith. And, and so Paul is arguing that you cannot be justified by the law. Now, here's the Roman church. The Roman church had a lot of Jewish people and a lot of Gentiles in it. And there was all sorts of problems and interactions that were going on and conflict and confusion because the Roman church primarily was a Gentile church, but it did have Jewish people who converted to 
Christianity. And they're trying to figure out, because the Jewish people are going, we're kind of special, we kind of got something going on here. And Paul's trying to actually deal with that. Matter of fact, it says, see, the Jewish people kind of feel like because they were Jewish, and the Pharisees in particular, believed that they could be justified by their works. They think that they can generate their own merit. By their actions and through their actions, this will allow them to be accepted by God. And Paul drives a bulldozer through that thought. Matter of fact, he does such a good job that he destroys the Jew's sense of privilege. Destroys it. Annihilates it. Matter of fact, look what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. Check this out. This is really good. Because it's like, it's, if you don't understand the whole book of Romans, you could miss this. Look what he says. He goes, and after having destroyed and annihilated any sense of Jewish privilege, salvation or acceptance by God for the works of the law, he goes, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? And he's leaving this question out, and I love what he does. He doesn't answer it until later on in chapter 9. He's going to drive this point home, and he's going to do it so well because he's trying to make it clear. The just shall live by faith. He that is righteous by faith shall live. It's no longer works. It's no longer what you've known in the past. Amen? And so he doesn't answer it till chapter 9. That's the first four chapters. Now let's look at chapter 5 to chapter 8. He expands the second half of the phrase. Remember, he that is just, he that is righteous, watch, by faith shall live. So he's talking about righteous, and then he that is just, he says, by faith, and he talks about what it means to be righteous. It's not by the law, and to the point where people are even questioning, including Paul, well, what point is there? What good is there in being a Jew? And he doesn't answer it. Because he's trying to make sure it's to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, but then to the Gentile. So what's the point? And now he goes, by faith, watch this, we shall live. And what he does in chapter 5, he shows that what real life is, is actually in this thought of living, or life, or alive. And he shows in chapter 5 that we live now with this freedom from death. Anybody thank God we are free from death? Amen? i got to tell you honestly, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm really not. Now, I don't want to die. I get on an airplane, and I'm not sitting on an airplane going, oh, God, if this, if this is the end. I, I'm, I can honestly tell you, I'm not thinking I want to make, I don't have any unconfessed sin in my life. I have confessed sin in my life. But I don't have any younger. We're going to talk about that. Ooh, a bit later. Ooh, it's going to be fun. All right? And so, um, but, you know, I think to myself, well, if this plane crashes, it's all good. I'm going to heaven. I've got freedom from death. I will die. You will die. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you will die. We're all going to die. But I'm I'm ready. Now, I don't want to die. I want to reach as many people for Jesus while I'm alive. But we've got freedom from death. Jesus died and rose again. 
We will all die and we will go from, from, from mortal to immortal to more immortable. We will go from perishing to unperishing. We are going to live an eternity with Jesus. We have freedom from death. And then not only do we have freedom from death in the gospel, but we have freedom from sin. Oh, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> okay. And then we got freedom from the law. It's not our being good, crossing T's, dotting I's, measuring up. In some churches and what they call some Christian, I don't think they are Christian, I think they're a cult. You gotta check in with the priest or the minister, you gotta check in with uh, the rabbi, you gotta check in in the Mormon church, you gotta make sure, did you drink coffee? Did you do this? And you gotta you gotta make sure you show your works as an evidence of your salvation. My friends, I wanna tell you, we are free, we are freedom from the law. Amen. And then, I love this chapter. I wish I was preaching this right now. I'm, ooh, but we have freedom in the Spirit. All right. So that's what the five chapters, five, six, seven, and eight are. Have you got that? Boy, this is fast, okay? Now, chapters nine to 11, Paul argues in the first four chapters, the righteous live by faith, or the righteous by faith shall live. Can you see that? He explains what it means to be righteous and then talks about what it is to be alive. You got that? But chapters 9 to 11, he answers the question in chapter 3. Well, what advantage is then to being a Jew? And I want to talk about that just for a few minutes. Are you ready for this? What advantage then is there being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? And Paul absolutely majorly makes it clear here that God hasn't forsaken the Jewish people. He's done such a good job of making sure that we understand that faith comes by believing what Christ did for us and how he died for our sins, that it's no longer just this sense of obeying everything that was of the Old Testament, the purification laws, the, the sacrifices, the atonements, the, you know, all, all that's gone. Now it's all in Christ. Amen. And it's for everybody. He does such a good job that actually he makes it very clear that God hasn't forsaken them. Because he asked the question, based on what I just told you, what advantage in is there being a Jew? And here, this whole thought is that's teaching the Jewish people that actually this is dependent upon the Jewish people. God still has a plan for them, but this is dependent, watch, on their turning to Christ, not to their own works of the law. Have you got it? And Paul explains, actually, that there's this idea of a righteous remnant. Now, this is a whole theological subject that a lot of people have different views on. I'm just going to give you what I think Paul's saying. Is that okay? All right. So, what he's saying here is the Jewish people or the Jewish nation is not simply saved by being Jewish. Do you see that? But neither are they rejected. There is a remnant that has existed throughout the ages and even throughout the Old Testament. In fact, even Elijah kind of felt like, God, I'm the only one. Nobody knows. 
the trouble I've seen. Here is Elijah. I'm the only one. There's nobody left. It's faithful God but me. And God says, oh, Elijah, I've got a ram that hasn't bowed. You're not the bee's knees. You're not the ant's pants. You're not it. God shows something. And everything of the Old Testament is always meant to be a foreshadowing of what's coming in the new. Everything of, 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 of the Passover, everything of Sabbath, everything of what is in the Old Testament is foreshadowing of Christ, including this remnant that Paul is really going out of his way to help us understand. Amen? So this remnant has existed throughout the ages, and even in the New Testament, the Jews who have accepted Christ are an example of that. And look what Paul says in chapter 11. He says that there will be a great ingathering of those, speaking of Jewish, Jewish people, who will accept Christ. He's saying at some point before the Lord returns, God will do something significant amongst the Jewish people. No doubt Paul's making that very clear. And look what it says in Mark chapter 13. It says, and the gospel, watch, must first be preached to all nations. I want to make that clear. I know some younger Christians go, how could God? It's just not fair. What if people don't know? Here's what the Bible says. If we're going to preach the gospel, it must go to all nations. That's an important thing to realize that God's going to make sure the whole world hears this message. And God burdens that responsibility. Matter of fact, look what it says in Romans 11, verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Watch, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until, watch, until the full number of the Gentiles have come in. And in this way, Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godliness away from Jacob. So what it's saying is God will move again amongst the Jewish people before the Lord returns. Everybody got that? Matthew 24, verse 14. Listen to what the Bible says. This is Jesus speaking. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached, watch, to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end shall come. All right. So, and, and I want to break this down for you. Let me, let me go back to Adam, okay? So, God gave Adam this commission. Remember what God said? He said, I've made a garden, and I want you to take dominion over it, and I want you to occupy it. Now, watch. He goes, and I want you, listen to what he said, be fruitful and multiply. So, the commission that God gave to Adam, the first Adam, was to expand the garden, to the ends of the earth. God made the earth. And he said, Adam, now you, it's yours. Occupy, take dominion, have authority. Birds of the air, fish of the sea. It's always the will of God to have dominion over the fish of the sea. Praise the Lord, because I love fishing, that's all. You can clap if you want, but I just love fishing. And by the way, Adam failed, didn't he? Adam didn't do it. He fell into sin. So then he gives the same commission to Noah. Starts the will. He does a major reset and says, now you be fruitful and multiply. And you expand this garden that I've given you to the ends of the earth. Noah fails. And then this commission, listen to this, is defined very clearly 
to be, be fruitful and to multiply. So who does he give it to next? Abraham. And Abraham, God promises that your descendants will be like the sands of the seashore and you, Abraham, will be a blessing to the nations. And then, listen to this, God promise it, promises it to Israel. Israel would be a light to the nations, but Israel fails. And then Jesus takes up the commission given to Adam to extend the garden to the ends of the earth. And Jesus takes up this great commission that God gave Adam. He gave Noah. He gave Abraham. He gave Israel, the nation of Israel. And all of them fail. But Jesus rephrases it. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Watch this. Bap discipling all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. That word sounds familiar. Everything I've commanded you, surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus succeeds where everyone else fails. Come on, somebody should give the Lord a hand. So it looks like in the first part of Romans that God has failed the Jewish people. He's forgotten them. What, what point, what advantage is then to being a Jew? It looks like it, doesn't it? Or it looks like he just gave up on them. But he keeps coming back to this promise and covenant to Abraham and to Israel. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. The covenant hasn't come to nothing. There is a remnant. But this remnant is by grace and not by works. Come on, somebody. And this is where Paul proves in Romans, let me see if I got the chapter right, chapter 11, verse 29, I want you to catch this, that the promises of God are irrevocable. Because he's saying everything he promised that he would give to Israel, everything he promised to give to Abraham, when he makes a promise, they're irrevocable. He will keep the promise. But if you misread Romans, you can misread it and think there's no advantage to being a Jew. But God's going, I am faithful to my promise. I will keep my promise. I will preserve and bless Israel. Come on, somebody. And this is what Paul answers the question. What advantage is there to being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? And then our chapter 12 and chapter 14, right through, Paul gives practical application to what he already stated in the previous chapters. He does this on all his letters. Any letter you read of Paul, he actually builds out a theological foundation and basis, and then he goes out and brings practical application how this worked and how this is outworked. Chapters 12, for instance, it begins with a therefore. And some of it is centered around the Jewish and the Gentile interactions in the Roman church. I wished I had time to talk to you about the whole thought of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, not today, but we'll get there. And then chapter 15 and chapter, verse 14 to chapter 16, Paul closes and he gives greetings and he gives wishes. So come with me on just a little journey for a few more moments. One more time, we'll go back to our opening scripture. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Can you see what that's saying now? Have you got it? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's what I want to focus on. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. 
No one is going to understand the gospel any other way. It starts there. It finishes there. It's by faith. Amen? From first to last. Everybody see that? As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, but Paul's quoting an Old Testament scripture, Habakkuk. I say Habakkuk, but nobody understands me. Habakkuk. And look what it says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. See the enemy? He's puffed up in his desires, and his desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So let me just remind you one more time. Watch this. The first four chapters of Romans, the word faith is repeated 37 times. First four chapters. In the next four chapters, the words, if you like, faith are only repeated three times. You got that? 37 times in the first four chapters because he's talking about the righteous shall live by faith, not by works. What makes you righteous is your faith. Amen? Not your works. But then the next four chapters, listen to this. The word alive, living, or life appears 25 times. Are you hearing me? And actually, the Jewish people, what he's saying here, are no longer exclusive recipients to the covenant. That's what he's saying. The Jewish people are no longer exclusive recipients of the covenant. What he's actually saying is God's covenant is what will come to every nation, not just Israel. Can you see that? Although it does not exclude them. And I want you, I want you to catch this. Jesus, when he picked up that great commission, when he left this world and gave the 12 disciples the great commission, interesting 12 disciples, because 12 is the number of government. So God is saying, Israel, you're special. My gift and my promise, my calling with you is irrevocable. But now it's going to be a New Testament church. Are you hearing me? It's to the church worldwide. And listen to this. He appoints 12 disciples, and he actually says, now this will lead the New Testament church. Are you catching this? So let me show you what the gospel is. Let me just close with this thought. I want to show you what is the gospel. It's found in Romans 3. And I'm going to read to you probably about 10 verses. Is that okay? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I want to show you what it is. It says, by now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to what? All who believe. Look what he says. Watch this. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Watch this. All have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement for the shedding of blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just as the one who was justified by those who have faith in Christ Jesus. I know that's wordy. I, I know you might want to read that several times to really understand what he's saying. Let me just read on. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded because of the law? The law that requires works? No, but because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify, watch this, the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify this law by faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold it. What's all that saying? Well, I think it's important we understand what it's saying because I actually think this is the gospel. I think it's really trying to make it very clear for you and I. What is the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of. Look at verse 20. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of a law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And what Paul is doing here, he's laying the foundation of the gospel. We don't get this. We, we don't understand this. I've heard people say, how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. How could someone who's never heard the gospel stand before God and give an account for God? I mean, if God is sovereign, God is sovereign. But let me tell you, he also gave everyone free will. He gave you free will. It's worth thinking for a moment, okay? And look, look what he says here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what God did in Christ, if you like, is bring light to our fallen condition. His anger is against sin. I want to show you what I mean. God is holy and God is righteous. God is pure. We are not. There is none righteous. No, not a one. Matter of fact, God, the Bible says God is light. And in light, darkness Cannot exist. Let me prove it to you. Let's go. Turn the lights off. All the lights off. Every light in the building. There's no light here. There's a few little emergency lights on. We can't turn those off or we'll get arrested. I'm just trying to make a point what it is to be in darkness. And in darkness, I want to tell you, the moment you bring the lights back on, and hopefully we're going to do that, I ask them to turn them back on in 10 seconds. Praise the Lord. That is the longest 10 seconds I've ever experienced in my life. 
So light and darkness cannot and do not exist. God is angry at sin because God is holy and he is righteous. What is the gospel? That God can, will see to it because he's just. That Let me tell you something. Darkness cannot coexist with light. God must judge darkness. And his anger is at sin. And it must be punished. And God focuses his anger now on Jesus. And Jesus has what we call saved us, redeemed us, justified us. All have sinned. Can I tell you? That's the gospel. There is none righteous, no, not a one. Look what the Bible says here. He chose to reach us. And the law bears witness to Christ. Everything of the Old Testament foreshadows of Christ, foreshadows Christ. The Old Testament had its meaning in foreshadowing everything that we see of the works of the law and the atonement of sins and the sacrifice of a lamb and of an animal. It never forgave your sins. It covered your sins. But you were not redeemed. You were not sanctified. You were not justified. There was a repeating and going back and continually this idea. But everything of that was trying to show to us there will come a lamb. There will come the lion of the tribe of Judah. There will come one. And God will see to it. He is angry and he's focused. His anger is now focused on Jesus because Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin that we might live. Somebody ought to shout and give God praise. And this is what he says in verse 24 of chapter 3. All are justified freely by his grace for the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Watch. All have sinned, that's past tense. And then it says, all have fallen short. Watch, look, present tense. Anybody here, thank God, that you've been forgiven of your sins in that sense of your past tense? Before you're a Christian, then there comes a point in time when you realize, oh God, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And you know everything you've ever done is now under the blood. But you do not live out your life on a razor's edge by whether you do or don't sin today and you need to get resaved all over again. All have sinned, past tense, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. That is an outworking of your sanctification. That is a present tense where you realize that you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to mess up. Anything that's not faith, the Bible says, is sin. God needs a sin. And yet I want to tell you, past tense, present tense. We, and it goes, falling short of the glory of God. And in Christ, we are being restored to his glory. And as we're living out our Christian life every day and we do something we shouldn't do, say something we shouldn't say, I want to tell you, and it says, all have fallen short. That's today. Lord, I give that to you. I thank you. It's under the blood. I thank you. I'm a Christian and I'm going to be restored to your glory. And we go from glory to glory and from strength to strength. Anybody thank God that God is working with us and God is working through us. God is a God of restoration. We are justified. This is a legal term. It literally means having done for or marked by a good or a legitimate reason. It means justified the prisoner is acquitted. 
and the Lord takes his place in the court. When the anger of God that's now focused on Jesus because he took on the sins of the world and God puts his punishment, his chastisement, and his judgment on Christ, I want to tell you, the Lord takes our place in the court and we are now justified. My friends, that is the gospel. We are righteous by faith in the work of Christ. Someone took our place. Justification, redemption, restoration, restoration, propitiation, sanctification. I am not of the shamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For the Jew first and to the Gentile. Come on, somebody. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's not just good news. It's also the wrath or the anger of God that is poured out on sin, not on you. And it came on the person of Jesus. And you cannot preach the gospel if you don't understand the anger of God and the wrath of God. But it's not on you. It was put on Jesus so you can have full access to the kingdom and be justified. And Jesus stands in a court of law and says they're no longer guilty. They are justified by what I did. Let me, let me just prove it to you. Last scripture, I'm done. Singers, musicians, come on back. Is this too meaty? Is this helping anybody? Amen? So look, just close this. This, this is a beautiful closing. The wrath or the anger. Apparently someone told me this week that when I say wrath, Nobody understands what I'm saying. They all think it's a Roth IRA. So I said, good point. The wrath. Is that better? The anger. Wrath. Sounds more. The wrath. Wrath. This doesn't sound right. Of God. Watch. This is the gospel. I'll come to Jesus. He'll love you. You don't need to change. Oh, yes, you do. All sin falling short. Amen. You don't earn your salvation by what you do, but you work out your salvation. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppressed the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen and been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became future, which means irrelevant, unimportant, vain, valueless, trivial. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, church, I want to tell you, the world today claims to have great wisdom. They became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human being and the birds and the animals and the reptiles. The gospel is good news. And it's also understand God is holy. And there is a wrath, there is a anger that is focused on sin. And that sin was focused on Jesus. Don't you tell me God is not a loving God. He poured out the anger of God on Christ so it would not be poured out on us. And He makes a promise it will go to the whole world. And He'll never forget the Jewish people. My friends, I don't know how I did it, but I just preached the book of Romans in 40 minutes.